Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to another week of Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to with a parenthetical invite. That is an invite. It's very consensual in its approach. We would love it if you did read with us. If you wish to and so desired, please read. Please read with us. I think that's what I want to change the official subtitle of the podcast. The official <laughs> subtitle. Okay. It's a I long mean, podcast. Welcome to the evidence-based <laughs> therapist. If you desire to read with us, you could. If not, we will. And we'll talk about it. It's going to be changed. Okay. I mean, I'm open to it. It won't. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think like um, like search engine optimization would do too well. Not that like where we read so you don't have to. That just has like a, like a, like a nice quip. Yeah. Really rolls off the yeah. tongue better than you should read too. And if you <laughs> the shame of you If should. you don't, we, we will. Because we already we are. Will. We already are. And that's okay. But We're there, different. There are people who have sent in <laughs> so articles that we are. I'm going completely to... joking. I just want to make that like, <laughs> super clear. <laughs> Everything I've said just <laughs> since the beginning of this podcast. This is, is a joke. hard that you can't see our faces. It's... Which I'm using a pretty dry face, but there are cues. Which would be the cue? There are to cues me. that I. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So if I'm using a straight face, you know I'm probably joking. <laughs> yes. I also feel like that, that sounds bad. That explains why you're just laughing you in trainings and I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm always just, just laughing. It's just like, dude, you gotta I, quit. Like, I think I'm not what? Eighty percent of what you say is a joke, right? Well, no, I'm joking. Oh man. oh man, that was too far. Hey, here's a good teaching moment. That oh, um, close parentheses. Trauma <laughs> isn't the event. Trauma is the absence of connection after. So hey. You're I'm really sorry me. that I joked about 80% of what you say being a joke. <laughs> you basically just said it again. That's <laughs> like doubling down on the trauma. No, no, no. I'm trying to repair. <laughs> I'm sorry that I pointed out that 90%. <laughs> okay. Should we just, you know, maybe start over? I don't oh, know. I love it. Okay. It's going to keep going. Welcome to listeners, you dear, dear listeners. We close the parentheses. This is part two. <laughs> we closed it a long time ago. No, all of this is in there. Um, close parentheses officially. This is part two of our is the brain triune or, or is adaptive. it adaptive? Dun dun dun. And last uh, last podcast, we kind of had to make a funny abrupt ending because uh, we looked at the clock. We and looked said, at the clock. It's later clear. than I thought it was. <laughs> it's way later, and there's people who need me. So because we put um, this time in between things. Yeah. In a day. Yeah. We used minutes. to record at night. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Where there was just three hours to just time spent up in space. Yeah. Now we don't have that time and space. Well, what we do is just more planned. It's just bookended. Yeah. By obligation. But today we've bookended ourselves into doing the last two section of the sections of this article. Yeah. With plenty of time. Plenty it feels of time. like I say that. We're yeah. gonna end so up we, spending the twenty eight. So like let's just <laughs> Let's, okay. Let's buckle in. Right. So, just to give, I mean, listeners, if you haven't listened to the first part of this uh, kind of 
You're uh, going to need to listen article. to it, not just for the content of the article, but also to get a sense of our feelings about mm. the article. Yeah. Because it is a, I don't remember, how, I, I don't remember exactly how we talked about it, but that it's pretty spicy. Yeah. Yeah. It, I feel like it had varying levels of spice. Like, yeah. Upon first read, it was like, mm, no, not for it at all. Yeah. And then second read <laughs> was like, okay, I can kind of get there. You can and get behind that. Third read was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all right. Yeah. It's good stuff. And that's where I we like are now. Yeah. I liked how we talked before this podcast, which is, and I, I feel like we kind of do this naturally in whether it be just our postures as consumers of research or because we work with people and try and, you know, encounter the work together and engage with it meaningfully, that in each of these episodes, we kind of give a, what do we do with this mm-hmm. takeaway? Yeah. And as we were sizing up what that might be for this article, we mentioned that every theory and every publication, you know, virtually every word that is said has a place mm. in the formation of our collective mind. And so this, you know, this suggestion or invitation by the authors to move away from triune brain into adaptive brain has a place. So what place does it have for us now mm-hmm. as we sit here together mm-hmm. um, so you've got caleb i think a few points for us to go through to perhaps close out the article but yeah. then i'd love for us to s- spend some time on that piece yeah. at the end yeah yeah i've got just a couple points that are going to lead us into maybe making sense of mclean's try and brain theory um stefana all's adaptive brain theory their synthesis of it um and then looking at where they disagree, they agree potentially more than stuff in that all might think they do. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, spend some time on what's what's the potential limitations of adaptive brain theory? I love it. How does that give way to saying it's not either or, but both have a, a level of truth that is important to integrate? Yeah. Um, but just to, I want to recap just a little bit because um, their rub with um, the author's rub with Try and Brain Theory came mostly from a uh, critique of the modularity of Try and Brain Theory that it they critique that it's biological. There are systems uh, built on top of each other and that the brain is either on or off parts of the brain are either on or off they're saying that's what the triune brain theory yes uh, yeah. may lead one to yeah the reptilian mammalian neocortex those zones are um cut up cut up and only firing one or the other like a telephone call one has to send a signal to the other mm. then that one activates in its own way with the information it's gathered, but mm-hmm. that really it's A to B. Yeah. And if not, the other one's in control, the others turn off. Yeah. Um, it's not parallel process. Yeah. So but, they introduce concepts like homeostasis and allostasis, the way the brain is making predictions based on its internal interoceptive experience of the world and its needs and how it is predicting based on exteroceptive information, how it can get its needs met and that is either in a homeostatic way or shifting into an allostatic strategy. Which is prolonged instability, but functional. 
instability. So yeah. you're maintaining function in a environment, whether that be interoceptive or exteroceptive, that is unstable, unstable. Yeah. but you're still functioning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Constancy and mm -hmm. chaos yeah. is kind of a way to think about it. And so when they introduced this concept, they started to critique Tremont brain theory as just an inaccurate, unhelpful model because the brain is more complex than just these three hierarchical zones that provide an element of specialization in how we navigate our world. Um, they then go on to, they went on to talk about emotion, cognition, and social bonds as kind of the three areas of adaptability that the brain can utilize, which... Which in their theory highlights the logic of why we should transition away mm. from triune to adaptive. Brain. Yeah, because all, all parts of, like, your prediction is your that's just your prediction and then yeah. your system is going to either use emotion social bonds or cognition to adapt yep. to what they called an error prediction where you th you were thinking you'd get your needs met in a certain way so you predicted and it didn't happen so then you use emotions social connectedness or cognition, cognition. yeah um which we already noted at the end of the last episode of it seems very like interesting to disavow trend brain theory but still use like <laughs> constructurally and conceptually the three you know emotions Components or affect or reptilian brain yeah. the social connection the mammalian brain and, and the, cognition. the cognition which is the rational brain but uh neither here nor there um just or perhaps it is everywhere it's yeah it, it's all yeah <laughs> um but i have just a couple things then because they shift into the applications theoretically and clinically um, of a transition away from giant brain model to an adaptive brain model. Yeah. And I think it, at, up to this point, you know, this is a, up to this point, it, I think it's pretty clear that our conceptualization of this tension is that it's an, it's not a tension. It's actually you don't get an adaptive brain without it being triune. So the way that it speaks of some of the implications of this way of thinking, I think we agree with a lot of it, but with the both and of the adaptive or triune, that it's not an yeah. or, it's that it's an adaptive triune brain. Yeah, yeah, but to lose all hierarchical constructs of the brain. Even just theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. yeah. You lose a lot of depth in understanding neurosequentiality yeah. and the flow and regulation of energy yes. and information. Yes. That the brain, that's the whole job of the brain. Yeah. Um, and that it would be too much to say, let's just go adaptive. Network-based adaptive function. Yeah. yeah. Rather, and that's kind of, to me, like the pendulum swing from a very modular view of the brain, which is which are just these separate systems. Which we also don't we don't yeah. agree with. Yeah. Something like the amygdala is the only place where fear is housed yeah. is erroneous. Mm -hmm. Like that's not true. But I think they're swinging the pendulum all the way to the other side, which says like, we'll get rid of any sort of modularity. circuit language or modularity all and get network. into specialized networks that can fully and utterly adapt at any point um and i think yeah we're more in the middle of yeah 
And that yes. there's there's still utility in both sides of the spectrum. And yeah. that we shouldn't try and cut them out of each other. Yeah. There's still an evolutionary biology in which we as humans have specialized in certain ways that is more than just me as an individual. I've come into this world with a brain that is hierarchically organized based on genetic coding that has evolved over millions of years. Adaptively. Adaptively. And that's the not to say- it happened is through specialization of function through use. Yes. So that's, that's the whole, <clears throat> that's the whole linchpin of the reason I feel this to be a non-argument mm. is that we got to an adaptive brain because that in its essence, the triune brain itself became that way structurally and functionally through adaptive processes encoded in our genetic yeah. evolutionary biology. Yeah, which is really the first point that I was going to oh, note <laughs> on their theoretical implications, which is that um, essentially they're saying, viewing the brain as an extraordinarily integrated and adaptive organ implies that investigating a particular brain region in isolation is insufficient to understand how the brain works, i.e. looking at, you know, if we're just the amygdala the, for yeah. fear. Or even like try and brain theory, like just the reptilian brain. Like if you're just looking at the reptilian brain and thinking that, that the reptilian brain only does one specialized function, then that's insufficient to understand. I wonder if, sorry, this is a sidetrack, but I wonder if the authors would conceptualize our understanding as adaptive instead of triune. Hmm. Because when you talk about it that way, which I think is the point that you're getting at, that if you just looked at the reptilian brain to understand the reptilian brain, you couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, because it's involved in a circuit-based neurosequential activation pattern. Mm -hmm. So like, that's where I don't, I wonder if the authors would hear our explanation and say, yeah, well, yeah that's adaptive brain. Mm -hmm. Because it feels like for us, it's no, that's an adaptive triune brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a... An, yeah, it's adaptive, but it's also hierarchically organized. Yes, triune. which is important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I I don't like the the utter like disillusion of any sort of hierarchical organization. Yeah. That this is just a pure network network system. Um, but the second point I I was thinking of this is me being like okay, so what does adaptive brain theory really give to McLean's Try and brain theory. And we've noted like we would agree with some of their primary points of why McLean's theory isn't everything. Mm -hmm. um, we were like, yeah, of course, like McLean's writing on the brain was early on in history and isn't a perfect analysis of the brain, a concept of the brain. But and one of the things that I found really interesting about the article is that their their introduction and inclusion of um the interoceptive access of information processing. So looking at how the, the prediction processing experiences in the brain are utilizing interoceptive information of my um, regulation needs and um, like how I'm being impacted by my environment and then uh, expressing that through behavior to shift if we need to. That to me feels like it fits very well with a clinical application and understanding of the brain and that you can't just think of the exteroceptive world. Like the, the brain is not just 
And I think that's where McLean's theory gets a little like rigid is that, you know, if there's severe enough threat, I'll just, I'll evolve backwards into my- Yeah, I'll devolve into- Yeah, devolve into a more reptilian response where I'm like an armadillo and I'm just like plain dead, um, which is true, except if your interoceptive system has the adaptability and the predictability of being in environments that are potentially like shattering to others, but your brain is used to that sort of stimuli, then you're not going to devolve. Yeah, you're you not have allostatic exposure to that level of chaos, mm -hmm. which means you have an internalized template of resource to meet the demands of that environment. Yeah, yeah. a brain that has been in prolonged stress is going to encounter stress interoceptively different. In a completely unique way. Yes, than someone who's lived a fairly unstressful life and their prediction processing is like totally thrown off. Yeah, and I think that can go both ways with either you've been exposed to a similar type of chaos, which prepares you to mm. handle this environment more quote unquote adaptively than others. Mm -hmm. It could also be that you have experience of secure and attuned relationship that gives you the internal resources to stay integrated hmm. in the exposure to this overwhelming mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. That's where we see the link between secure attachment and, and, and buffers to traumatic stress response yeah. in individuals wherein they experience one event and come away with it, come away without any signs of PTSD. And then someone else who experienced that exact same thing may come away with post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it could be that it was an allostatic exposure uh, long before the initial event that prepared them to handle it better. It could also be that it was a homeostatic environment that was had a dynamic enough range uh, to strengthen that uh, regulation response to where they could address the environmental cues and be dysregulated, but mm -hmm. to come back to regulation so much so that it's a part of their coherent narrative. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I think that that feels very... Um, I think generous to all authors involved. Yeah, because um, there were like, a ton of <laughs> authors that we just went through yeah. talking that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and to say like the try and brain theory, like I agree with Stefan at all that it doesn't include that dynamic as explicitly. Um, I think you could imply McLean a, a posture of McLean in that way, but it's not as explicit to that, yeah. and it certainly didn't have the as much research mm -hmm. to go there, but. Well, sorry, it was in the 50s. Yeah, oh yeah, I know, <laughs> just, just 75 years ago. Um, but uh, in that way, like, that's not 75 years ago, that's like 50 years ago. Um, no, you're right. Was that 50s? Yeah. 50 plus oh, 20 my God. is yeah. 70, yeah. Interesting, should have trusted my gut. You nailed it. Should have trusted my unconscious math brain. Come on, um, it's usually better than the conscious. Here. What? It's usually better than the conscious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a way of saying McLean was right in some ways and being ex exteroceptively externally focused and just on the, the environment's impact on the self as just a one-to-one -one agent of receiving information. And if it's strong enough information, it will collapse and devolve. That that needs to be nuanced makes a ton of sense i think it's amazing that mclean was also noting that what i think theories like pbt would come later to really 
um, further explain because in that conceptualization of de-evolution or devolving, you see an adaptive conceptualization of dissociation. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. That, that is amazing. Back in the initial conceptualization of why a structural conceptualization of this complex system is necessary. It's because without it, how do you understand something like a person that falls down in the face of overwhelming external stimuli? Yeah. And just freezes. Yes. But yeah. is alive. Yeah. The breadcrumbs of this are super important. And in a way, it does remind me of Freud of like, whether you disagree or not, you have to be incredibly thankful to McLean. Yeah. Because he laid down groundwork conceptually that, that went to that led, led the field to... in some of these giant mm-hmm. leaps into what we now kind of take for granted. I think that's where our posture of every theory or publication or word uttered has a place. Mm-hmm. It's important to recognize. Very much. Yeah. yeah. What In, point? What point are we on? Uh, well, I'm going to move into my third one because okay. we just got one where it's like, okay, Stefan at all adaptive brain theory doesn't quite agree with the limitations of McLean, so then they expanded by introducing this whole world of interoception and how that plays into our predictive processing and navigating complex social environments. Now I want to talk a little bit about where they might agree, which is that um, Stefan at all talk about this um the the disposition to negativity that can arise from mm. prediction processing mm-hmm. can lead us to uh over or under predict uh, predictive processing um overactive or underactive prediction processing which can give way to psychopathologies mm. and that they talk about this truncation of experience mm. being kind of funneled in these like uh, ways of predicting and navigating the world uh, leads to um, a lot of um, problems psychobiologically. And I think this is where McLean and Stefan and all would actually agree in that it's not a matter of, you know, McLean not saying it's just like, just use your human brain. Like that's all you need to use and mm-hmm. you don't need your emotional or mammalian and you don't need your reptilian. Um, I think he would, my understanding of McLean is that he would be very on board with a, a reading that says integration is health. Yeah. And I think that's where um, Stefana all are also coming from in, in connection to this truncation process that can happen where you can become overly predictive and um, negatively valenced in your predictions so much so that you're minimizing prediction error but in disintegration and and a lack of health and so then they would agree that an adaptive brain that is healthy is going to be more complex which is similar to mclean i think and in his you want all three parts of the hierarchical organization to be involved yeah and that i mean This is another moment in reading this that I didn't understand the issue taken with triune brain theory in this explanation. Perhaps, as you mentioned before, it is the omission or the absence of any reference to interoceptive processes in McLean's original writing. But I think that if you're thinking through, like they mentioned, the glossopharyngeal and vagal nerve communication to the the insula, 
I don't know how you talk about that without the pre-existing template of a triune hierarchically organized system. How does information from the vagal parasympathetic branches move into the insula? It's through a hierarchical neurosequential process that that information is encoded and processed with immediacy and integrative capacity Hmm. that I can respond in an authentic way to the overwhelming environment or whatever it is that I'm needing to move away from, but in an instantaneous fashion. Yeah. I love this point because I think it goes to another thing that I wanted to talk about, which is just like the levels of perception when we're talking about the brain, because... I think they I think they do get away from hierarchical organization with the way they're talking about networks mm-hmm. and that like yeah networks yeah I go think. vertically but they they're and they're I think neurosequential is what they would say but there's no um kind of line of best fit mm-hmm. upon or within these like levels of network firing. Yeah. Whereas McLean's perception of the brain has sort of this line of best fit at three levels of yeah. neuronal network firing. Yes. Um, and that's, I think, a deep honoring of the physiology in in the brain. You know, it, it's an it's an incredibly important <clears throat> muscle and mechanism in how it balances energy, like. It's a very efficient uh, system, the the human brain, both chemically and uh, psychologically. It doesn't have these extraneous processes that are just like wasting energy metabolically. Mm. Uh, The network communication isn't just like the game of operation where you, oh, you bumped it, so it activated. Sorry. Like the reason a network would illuminate or become activated in a, in a, human being is because it's serving a purpose to mm-hmm. address the interoceptive and exteroceptive stimuli environment mm-hmm. not because it's just a random like do you does that making sense totally. like the activation isn't just because i touched it and so it activated yeah it which has I, a purpose yes i and i i think like this is where like the levels of perception i mean comes in as like a way of making sense of this debate is that McLean is saying like the purpose of activation at certain levels yeah. generally organizes itself in these ways. You get very hindbrain centric focus as far as to, metabolic energy firing seem patterns. Seem to devalue social bonds, yeah. have very little cognitive awareness. And they we're are... going pure um, life threat protection. Yep. Like, and if that is a total shutdown until further notice, like your brain is going to do that if we're going if we're getting more midbrain subcortical into the transit transition of cortical regions we're going to get more social behaviors we're going to get the purpose of firing more in that zone yeah is the line of best fit is social connection and then uh, at which the is rational brain determined yeah, yep you're getting cognition yeah and and i think they and this is maybe again where like i i agree to a certain extent of like you can say that, but then I can find clients where maybe that doesn't feel true. Uh-huh. Where maybe this idea of like dorsal, like a dissociated shutdown state actually has a heck of a lot of pro-social behaviors because mm-hmm. they're in this sort of... Yeah, functional dissociation. Yeah, yeah, functional dissociation. 
And but they're still asleep to themselves in, in ways. Yeah. So then like adaptive brain theory helps me at that level of perception to make sense of it in a nuanced way. <laughs> but then sometimes like the level of perception that I need is like, well, yeah, you of course you froze when you almost got hit by a bike on the side of the street. Like, yeah. of course you did. That's a severe life threat. Your system had no prediction. You made the right choice. Templates. Yeah. And you just, yeah, you sit still, let them go yeah. around you. And cool. Like that makes a lot of sense. And I don't need the deeper levels of perception to, to nuance that. It feels very like, yeah, at a, at a high level at McLean's theory, like that line of best fit feels like it. So are you, are you thinking of the utility of these theories together being placed along a spectrum of increased nuance? So very much. You will talk about adaptive brain on the complex side. But if you're going towards more of the simple, you'll stick with the triune brain hierarchical organization. Yeah. I feel like both clinically, well, I, I, I'll just speak to clinically. Like I think clinically that feels very resonant with mm -hmm. my experience of triune brain theory is such a powerful tool yeah. into, or like key into the room of, hey, here's like just a broad sense of, how your brain and your body interact to meet your needs and navigate the complex array of experiences that you have in your world. And then sometimes like the, that doesn't make enough sense. Yeah. So then we're going to drop down into a greater nuance of the brain mm -hmm. um, and understand it more. Yeah. This is, uh, I think the reason I asked it in that way was in part selfish because mm. it set up this question that I got in some talking to a consultee who had listened to the last episode wanting to know about things like Dan Siegel's hand model. Hmm. Um, because that is a very triune brain conceptualization of even how you flip your lid. It's not just because randomly that thing just like flies off the hinges. It's because neurosequentially it cannot handle the metabolic load that is bearing down on those centers in the brain, simply yeah. speaking. And so you'll get this flipped lid to where now you're disintegrated and you're over, you know, you're overrun mm -hmm. with chaos and mm -hmm. you can't respond in an authentic way to the present environment. I think that's a great way to conceptualize then. And for, for those that don't know the hand model, you can look up on YouTube. Dan yeah. Siegel's got a short video where he talks about it, but very simply, like it's to use your own hand, your wrist is your uh, spinal cord up into your, uh, sorry, your forearm is your spinal cord. Your wrist is then um, part of the, Brainstem. part of the brainstem into transitioning into the cerebellum and now you can fold your thumb into your palm and that's going to represent uh what would be the the interior limbic structures limbic structures of your brain and then as your hand folds over the top you see the development of the of the neocortex and you know how you're thinking a, cap a brain that's on your hand yes yeah, your thinking cap yeah i like the vulcan hand model which is <laughs> oh yeah to get the hemispheres Start. in there <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hemispheres. i love uh, that i yeah. haven't heard of that <laughs> yeah well i don't i've never heard anybody else say that but that's how i talk to my clients <laughs> I like love that. the vulcan hand model you make the to get the hemispheres anyway um that is a really great conceptualization just basic neuroeducation um, that is that is being included in some neuroinformed uh, counseling and psychotherapy protocols that are vying for evidence-based status. So it is, you know, 
evidence-based and how effective it is to increase a client's awareness of their of their mm-hmm. neurophysiology and function. So from that side of the spectrum in the more simple, here's how we can conceptualize your brain in any given situation. We can use that to then talk about how you developed across your life and what some of the uh, changes or uh, hiccups might be in the function of your brain. And then in the experience of a traumatic or overwhelming situation, we can see the flipped lid or the disintegration happen in real time. Mm-hmm. So that's great. But what this doesn't get to is some of the some of the peculiar, uh, more network-based, um, you know, unique nuances, nuances yeah. of human evolution mm-hmm. that say, well, it's not easy to predict necessarily when a lid might flip. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the network communication that's happening to keep a level of integration at that level of awareness uh, to keep your lid from flipping all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, I, I just think like so many therapies and I, and I feel this sometimes when like trainings, like you can feel people glaze over and start to functionally dissociate when you stop, start talking about deep brain networks yeah when i start tracking like yeah the periaqueductal gray up into the insula and the yeah. anterior cingulate cortex it's checking with the cerebellum yeah it's going up everyone's into, like yeah it you see people like start to glaze over and it it's just not as useful yeah in clinical application unless the client is in a zone of a proximal learning where their system can tolerate some of these deeper dives. Yeah, because um, when you say it to me, I know what you're alluding to of why you're talking about those networks. Like that's where that level of complexity is commonplace for you and I in our discussion. And so I prefer you would use network. Like don't like <laughs> yeah. don't go back down into explaining individual in individual modules or or brain parts unless you have something interesting to say that may not already be there, you know, in the laterality of the, of the two structures that make up the amygdala and, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and for clients, I feel like it makes a lot of sense if, you know, we did that one article that um, your higher mental functions are dependent upon your lower uh, mental experiences <laughs> and that your embodied experience of the physical world uh, corporeally will determine how you make sense of it psychologically yeah. and yeah. these higher constructs. And I think one thing that Trine and Brain Theory does do is it connects us to the animals and the earth around us where we can point to, yeah, you, you know, horses. They're like very in their mammalian brain a lot of the time and they're very interconnected. And then, mm. I don't know, something like a, like a, some sort of reptile, like an armadillo or something. They yeah. click into that reptilian brain quite quickly and, that's just like a good example and it connects in a way that just a, a pure adaptive brain understanding misses. Um, it's not as connective. But then like, yeah, they're right. The brain is adaptive. And if you need to drop into that level of perception to, to make sense of it in that way, you can totally do that. And I think adaptive brain theory is good in that way. Yeah. Um, but it's not triune or adaptive. It's it's both yeah. depending on the le- level of organization and understanding you need as a human. Yeah. Um, and clinically, I think I, I don't want people walking away from this article thinking, well, now I've got to stop like, using what works. If the hand model works, I've got to stop because it's 
neurobiologically incorrect. I hope that the the listener will feel that a cessation of any procedure is inappropriate. Yeah. Like that's not even what we're talking about. Like you shouldn't listen to this and say, "Oh, I should stop doing the hand model." You should see that like this article actually doesn't say anything about whether or not you should stop doing the hand model. What it mm. says is actually how you can better understand the hand model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the authors would maybe say you should stop doing it because of the whole cutting up the brain. But like in our reading of this article, I think you now see that there are clients that you can use the hand model with and, and enjoy an immense amount of mutual understanding and greater depth for future conversation while also then seeing the road to further complexity and nuance mm-hmm. that still uses the hand model. Yes. Yeah. So which, I hope, yeah. Yeah. Which I think leads to the end of kind of our discussion where we can kind of spin up on this, which is, you know, there's some parts of triune that are conceptually and practically more beneficial and, and easier to use than just a pure adaptive brain paradigm. But then on some levels, the adaptive brain paradigm theory brings in nuanced information that is incredibly important for making sense of how the brain is in uh, managing uh, informing and um, synthesizing energy and information that is incoming and outgoing Mm. and then there's a place where they connect and say yeah integration is health the key is not that you overemphasize um, predictions in a certain way to minimize error <laughs> because that leads to pathology just like McLean would say like you you don't want to be in environments that are continuously bumping you down into these reptilian responses that are forsaking your mammalian and human parts so then I kind of want to drop into the the final space which is they make a, a claim at the end that says uh, a triune brain framework limits understanding of pathophysiology and i would say that i i would agree with that a Mm. triune brain perspective does have limits and i i think what feels curious to me is that um adaptive brain theory isn't limit like it's not free of limits either yeah and so then i would be curious like when you're reading this and kind of thinking about okay what what may be the limits of adaptive brain theory then? Um, if we're saying it's not either or, um, if because if if it was either or, then trying brain theory would have limits, adaptive brain theory wouldn't have limits, and so we'd just go with an adaptive brain theory. Right. Um, but what do you see as the, the limits of adaptive brain theory and why maybe clinically and theoretically the, the idea of either or feels rough to us? I think too much to put it into an either or has a complex implication for me. It at the same time oversimplifies into obscurity, reducing it into basically, you know, you're, you're cutting out, you're, you're, (laughs) you're becoming content with the tip of the iceberg Mm -hmm. in one way. Mm -hmm. And then in another, on a clinical level, you're trying to, you're basically taking away the simplest version of the story I could tell, forcing me to tell the most complex narrative I can. Mm-hmm. So it, so again, to restate, 
it oversimplifies into obscurity mm-hmm. through reduction, mm-hmm. while at the same time overcomplexifying uh, to an incommunicative mess. Yeah, yeah. I uh, am reminded of a conversation we were having over lunch, what, thinking about like we were even talking, and what made me think of this is your use of like the simplest story I could tell. Yeah, and I think for for clients, sometimes they don't need the complex story. Like their system is going to, this is ironic, their system is going to adapt and find better prediction processing. Through the simple. Through the trying brain theory, yeah, yes. like story, yeah. because of its simplicity. And yeah, and I think it gives, especially if you can get a feel for the hierarchy, I mm. think that that opens up a world of possibility for giving the brain that you're talking to a real framework to understand what meaning you're making of it mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Yeah. I, at lunch, we were talking about like, I don't want to go into a room and for me to assume that people want the most complex Version answers and yeah. versions yeah. of myself when in reality, they just want the simple answer. That's like draining yeah. to then like, Go to each room yeah. with the expectation that I I want to be a subject. I want to be authentic, which means I you need to see the complexity of me. Yeah. But if you're going to ask me, hey, how are you? That's not. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not cueing my That's system me. to one to give you the complex story. No, I don't even think about it. I say, good. How are you? Yeah. I turn it. I need the simple. Yeah. And and the simple is adaptive in that situation. I think. Yeah. The same thing can be said about. The try and brain theory of it, of course it misses. It's it's old. Yeah. And we've evolved in our understanding of integrating and synthesizing new information that we it's, found. Yeah, it's old and it's primarily structural. Yes. You're gonna get some functional explanations, but those are where the, the pieces really come apart because we didn't know. <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. so let it be a structural support for the adaptive complexity that you want to describe but don't jettison that that to me is what i was talking about with like you're contenting yourself with the tip of the iceberg mm. which itself would just be a floating block of ice it's an iceberg it's the tip of the iceberg because it has this gigantic mass underneath it mm. let the triune brain support you in your complex explanation of function mm. through an adaptive uh network-based conceptualization yeah yeah i have um i have kind of moments of flashback happening now of when Dan Siegel talks about uh, where is he doing I think maybe in the developing mind but he also I've heard him talk about it um, at like a seminar where he'll say things like you know our the marker of a healthy individual is a coherent self-narrative but that doesn't mean a coherent cognitive narrative it means that as they're processing I mean this is what the AAI is is assessing as they're processing there's an emotional biological cognitive and social representation representation that is congruent with the part of the story they're telling and when and there's no each piece is chronological time gaps and yeah i think the same is true for us as a field of research and clinicians that if we forsake our like developmental years of mclean for our like progressive years as uh, adaptive brain theorists mm. we're going to have an incoherent self-narrative as a field 
and we're going to miss some of the tools that are at our disposal for understanding um, if we're just in that modernistic compulsion to the new and the, the uh, more um, uh, finely articulated. Yeah. Yeah. What limitations do you see in the adaptive brain? I mean, I, I, I almost can't help but just mimic or mirror or say the same things that um, you would say. Hmm. Uh, I, I think conceptually it's beautiful. I think it, it's helpful, again, like at a certain level of perception. Like when my first round of organizing information doesn't make sense, adaptive brain theory helps me understand that the brain can do things that aren't quote unquote normal or within the line of best fit for the broad human organism. Yeah. Evolutionary project. Yeah. That is human. Yeah. yeah. And it will, it will deviate from that and become very idiosyncratic for the sake of survival. And that that's incredibly helpful to then know like referentially based on like the line of best fit or the kind of, corporate communal norm, how this client deviates in some way. So it's great at that level of perception, but I, I find that if my, if I didn't know triune brain theory or hierarchical brain organization, then I think I would just be like more confused by the adaptive brain theory, like just by understanding interoception and exteroception and homeostasis and allostasis. I don't yeah. think I would have a synthesizing and organizing framework for understanding complex behavioral and psychological patterns. Yeah. I think I would, I would kind of know maybe what to look for and questions to ask, but I, I don't know if my synthesizing and organizing of information would be as, as grounding or as solid. Um, yeah. 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 I think the, the final, implication or uh yeah the final clinical implication they they talk about the rdoc the research domain criteria which i you know we will talk more about mm -hmm. in, the, in the development of this season but i just want to read this uh quote here um they say approaching the brain from a triune perspective or similar viewpoints may contribute to hypotheses that are built on inaccurate assumptions about brain functioning Kozak and Cuthbert note that there is thus an a priori assumption, so after the fact, that the diagnoses refer to real disorders with ensuing assumptions that they involve a unitary pathophysiology and psychopathology, and that the task of a science of disorders is to find the underlying biology of the specific disease entities. But these assumptions now appear to be false. These approaches have failed to produce significant advances in the understanding of treatment of mental disorders. So again, they, they're teasing out that the fundamental posture of a modular perspective should be able to identify the origin of psychopathologies or pathophysiology. So mm -hmm. why something might be happening incorrectly. Well, if we had a purely modular uh, brain that was inter was independent from one another, you should be able to locate the source of that, treat it, whether it be through psychopharmacological um, you know, measures or perhaps surgery of some kind, you, you could be able to fix it. But because that's not true, uh, we have to invite the brain to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's what they're using to kind of justify 
We need a biological conceptualization of psychological processes that is also relational and adaptive in yeah, its response. Oriented. Right. So that's where they start talking about the research domain criteria, which we'll get much more into. But again, I think for me, at the end of the day with this article, I think I said it in the first episode as well, but it it's made me even more confident in my conceptualization of the triune brain uh, as an adaptive organism, mm -hmm. um, not one to be misunderstood through over-complexification in network-based understanding or oversimplified in a purely modular conceptualization. Yeah. Yeah. In that way, I think we're the critique of triune brain theory from adaptive brain theory only makes triune brain theory better. Yeah. Because we can integrate triune brain theory rather than get rid of it and lose its wealth of yeah. conceptual understanding. A response article that would be interesting could be uh, the brain is adaptive, not triune. No, it's an adaptive triune brain. Hmm. Yeah. So you want to write it? I mean, I'm in. Or listeners, I guess yeah. we could write it too. Yeah. You want in? Yeah. Wherein you have adaptive as a description of the physiology, which mm. I think is what should happen. Mm. Not the physiology yeah. itself. Ooh. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You can't describe the function of an organism as the organism itself. Mm. Doesn't make any sense. Mm. That's a running human. No, that human is running. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, I think it's. There's the <laughs> opportunity out there. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> a phrase we've come to. To be more open to that's just the way it is. Just the way it is. Yeah. I don't know. Take why, it away and you miss it. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Yeah. But um, thank you to the listener that suggested this article. Please yeah. send in your recommendations. We are always thinking about um, how best to tell the story of a season of episodes and mm -hmm. your your articles that you're aware of. You know, that's what research teams do. They bring mm -hmm. together. Uh, articles that each person is aware of or ideas that each person is aware of because there's no possible way that we could yeah. be aware of yeah. everything out there. Yeah. We've even got an article coming up that I also just saw that uh, yeah. David, um, oh, what's his name? Psychotherapy and Psychiatry uh -huh. or Psychiatry and Psychotherapy. He also did a review of this article on depression and serotonin and yeah. How it's is, not just a it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not a just a imbalance. chemical imbalance. Yeah. Um, that there might be more to depression than just the fact that you're what? missing neurotransmitters. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't mean that your brain is failing, but responding adaptively in a certain way. I'm so <sighs> glad we're finally talking this way. Yeah. I love that. So um, but it's hot. I, I've seen it on Research Carry. Oh, yeah. I've seen it on I've gotten podcast it sent and... to me by so many people. Yeah. <laughs> like... So we'll be reviewing that with one of our, well, with the... beyond our yeah. psychiatric, psychiatric pharmacist. pharmacist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll be diving into that. And we've also got articles from other people who have recommended. And we're going to also do a series from Cozio, like a little five part. I'm so excited for that um, one. Small <laughs> organization of a large brain structure. 
that's which is why this article fits so well because we need to have this conversation to say like okay yeah like yeah we talked about this spectrum of simple to complex now we're really going to get into this yeah 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 we've talked about circuits we've talked about uh uh, networks but what if we talked about systems Systems. oh So and goosebumps. That's what happens. Excited talk for about you. Systems. Yes. Yeah. Excited for the <laughs> listener to join and uh, also participate. Read if you want. Yeah. You should read though. <laughs> <laughs> just end it in shame. Yeah. No. Yeah, you just should. Kidding. Yeah. No. No. no just listen kidding. and let's talk. Let's later. talk. And if you don't listen, still talk because you have something to say. It's something which meaningful. Is valuable. You have your yep. experience. It's beautiful. Yes. That's it. <laughs> All right. See you later. <laughs> We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Notice That is an EMDR podcast hosted by EMDR-approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear.